Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with San Francisco-based jazz pianist Clifford Lamb. He just released 2017 CD, Brothers and Sisters. He is originally from New York and discovered jazz at the age of 16. His first piano teacher was Wes Montgomery's pianist, Richard Crabtree, and he would go on to graduate from the Berklee College of Music in Boston, and he would go on from there to hook up with the Tommy Dorsey Orchestra. From there, he has woven a very interesting jazz journey. So get to know him and dig this interview, my friends. Let's Hold on, I'm going to let these cops go by here. And yeah, I think we're in good shape. So <laughs> it's not me this time. I'm safe. Uh, <laughs> don't just but, don't tell me you're in the chat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh-oh, yeah. hold on, I got another one here. Maybe I should right. count my chickens. Hold on. Or count my eggs, one of the two. But at any rate, Clifford, thank you for taking a minute out to speak with me today. I appreciate it. Sure. I got brothers and sisters in the mail last week. I mm-hmm. loved it, and I wanted to reach out and talk to you about it. Talk to me about this album. How do you feel about it? Well, it's a stepping stone is what it is. I have an evolution that took place through the first one. The first album was entitled Bridges. This is my follow-up. It's got a slightly different concept with the same players. And on the third album, the same players you know, doing more things together. So where were you born and raised? Born in New York City, uh, son of a, he's a journalist, so we did a lot of traveling, and I ended up in Mill Valley at the age of about nine, that's over in California, raised over in that area. So I went off to school back uh, when I went to the Berkeley College of Music. You did start playing classical piano at five, you discovered jazz at 16, what was the album or what was the group of artists that you discovered that got you into jazz? <laughs> Yeah, that, that's an interesting question, and, you know, I can always answer that question because he really he's just made an impression on me, and that was Ramsey Lewis' In Crowd, the In Crowd album by Ramsey Lewis. It's the one that has the pictures of the Cadillac in the front cover over in Washington, D.C. What was it about Ramsey's playing in that album that got you so much? That I mean, there, there's always something that hooks you into jazz, but what was it about that album? I think it was just, uh, you know, just, I mean... I think uh, it, it probably the probably the funky churchy element of it, you know, the groove of it. Uh, you know, I I like the feeling I got from it. And uh, when you're 16, you know, you just go a lot by feelings. I think it just grabbed me and it and it stayed in my mind. And that's the first album that really uh, captured my imagination toward jazz, and it inspired me just to keep uh, pursuing that sound. You know, you you mentioned you went to the Berkeley College of Music, and we'll get to that point, but. Your mm-hmm. first jazz piano teacher was Wes Montgomery's pianist, Richard Crabtree. That had That's to be a huge, huge leap for you. He definitely inspired me. He played, uh, in that first lesson, he played uh, Laura, and he wrote it out in about ten, about five minutes. He wrote a complete lead sheet, and he played it, and I was intrigued by the, the voices and the chord changes. And, uh, you know, of course, I didn't know anything about theory or how to construct chords at the time, but... I uh, definitely uh, wanted to pursue that sound again, like I did with the in crowd. And then after the Berkeley College of Music, you hooked up with the Tommy Dorsey Orchestra, correct? Very briefly, yes. What was that like? Was that a big learning curve for you? It was uh, kind of a reality check. <laughs> <laughs> because, uh, you know, at the time when I, was, when I finished uh, school, I was, I was experimenting with McCoy Tyner sounds and, uh, you know, doing spot gigs have a sound and then you go here you go with Tommy Dorsey and you you can't fit those those the McCoy Tyner changes into Tommy Dorsey. It just doesn't fly. <laughs> and it and it didn't. <laughs> uh, so uh 
it was uh, you know playing swing and playing you know playing one nighters on the road at a different location was was uh, something that you know you try to get used to. The one thing that I didn't get to and I wanted to ask you is you know you're growing up in New York City. What live shows did you see? You know that have been really like have, have made deep impressions on you. Well, again, I was born in New York, but only stayed there a short period of time, so I can't talk to you about what I saw then because there wasn't anything to talk about. But as far as live shows go, uh, I've seen Herbie Hancock, and he's been a big influence on me ever since I started doing jazz almost from the time I started within the two or three years. So I've seen some Herbie Hancock over the years. So we can talk about Herbie Hancock. If you want to talk about what made a big impression, we can talk about him. Let me ask you this. If you could get into a time machine and go back in time and see any artist in the annals of jazz, who are you going to go see? Where are you going to go? You're going to be in the jazz DeLorean, and you could punch in the digits. <laughs> <laughs> okay, just don't call me Michael J. Fox, okay? That's right, uh, that's right. <laughs> yeah, uh, probably, probably uh, Art Tatum okay. would be my choice to go to go hear him. He's the one that Oscar Peterson uh, heard and stopped playing for a good month because he's he couldn't understand how one person can play all that many notes. His father said, "That sounds like two people. That sounds like two people playing that one that one piano spot." So let me ask you a generic question: Why do you love jazz? Well, I like all music, actually. I mean, I've I played all music over the years, but the reason I like jazz is that I think it's probably the ultimate form of of expression because you're you know you're playing what you're feeling, and it's uh, it's simple yet complex. It's simple because you're accessing something that has to do with something that's internal. The uh, opportunity to do that, I think, is a lot of freedom. So that kind of freedom, I think, is very important for our culture. And, uh, you know, that's what I like about it. It gives me a chance to be expressive in a way that really has the only limits are the, the uh, conventions that are placed on whatever it is the uh, genre is, which is namely jazz in this case. So... It's just the ability to express oneself freely is probably the most important part of it. You've had some stellar teachers in your life, but you've also played with some big shots like Kevin Eubanks, Tommy Campbell, Herb, Herbie Lewis. You've you played with a lot of people. What do you learn from people that have all that experience in the world of jazz? What do you soak up from them? That's an interesting question. It's difficult to answer in one sentence because when you're talking about Herbie Lewis, you're talking about somebody who lived the tradition of jazz. When you're talking about Kevin Eubanks, he's a contemporary of mine. So, you know, uh, let's talk about Herbie. He's he's a good one to answer that question with because the one thing that Herbie is is he's very he's a very free player, but he's also very grounded in the tradition of jazz and to stay very very uh, close to the time and to guard it, you know, with his life. So, if I learn one thing from Herbie, it is to hold on to the time and respect that time and not let your time slip. You know, to swing, you have to maintain. So from Herbie, I learned that, you know, and his deep feeling of time is what I always carry with me. Herbie passed away probably about eight or nine years ago, but he's always with me. You've been at this for a little while. What do you see your future as? You have a new album that came out. You stay relatively busy in the world of jazz. What do you want your future to be? How do you want things to pan out? Say in 10 years, we talk again. Well, I hope to, you know... Show the validity of jazz as I see it throughout the world, and to get that message out to as many people as I possibly can. So I see myself hopefully uh, 
playing, you know, around the U.S. more, much more, and to get into Europe and play, you know, play uh, the venues over there that that will have me. And and I've uh, had commitments from both uh, Nicholas Payton, uh, Cindy Blackman, and Buster to go with me to Europe. It's just a question of of us finding the time to do it. But these are the people that I'm starting Europe with. So I'm just hoping to take that as far as I can. So let me ask you this. Everything is going to come down to this question. Everybody has a version of who you are, your family, your friends, those that, that buy your music and you play live for. But when you wake up and face today, who do you think you are? I'm everything that comprises my being is who I am. Uh, we all have, uh, you know, we, we all have traits that we hold in common, but yet at the same time we all express them individually and the ethics and uh, the principles that, that are uh, what I revolve around are what comprises who I am. So that's my identity right there. I guess I have one more question for you when you talk about spreading jazz throughout the world. And I want to ask you this. It's something I like to ask every once in a while. In 2017, how healthy of an organism is jazz in your eyes? Well, I think there's different perspectives on what healthy is. What I see around me is a lot of young people that are look, looking to learn it. I'm also a piano teacher. And, uh, you know, I see I see the people that are trying to take with me and what they're looking to learn and the people that I see uh, around me. Uh, there's a great deal of interest in jazz just here, even though it's commercially uh, seen as not viable anymore and seen as a very low percentage. I, I just because because jazz is a form of free expression and the blues, I don't think jazz will ever really go away. You know, unless music's outlawed. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I see it as always having a presence, uh, regardless of what the statistics say. I think that jazz will always be here. I absolutely agree, Clipper. That's a great way to wrap everything up. Thank you for taking a minute out. Hopefully you got a little bit of a breather in the workout and get you a little bit more bigger. <laughs> okay, Joe, thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. Thanks for listening and tuning in to yet another Neon Jazz interview where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players in San Francisco, Chicago, Kansas City, and spots all over the world giving fans all that jazz. And thanks to Clifford for his music, his honesty, and his time. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store. Visit Neon Jazz at YouTube.com. And for everything Neon Jazz, go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the music, my friends. Neon Jazz.